Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello again, everybody. Welcome in. Outkick the culture back on the air. Third episode. This is when the intros are out of the way. And you actually have to start delivering on the content, bringing out the best in the characters, drawing people in with the storylines. And today, we have our share. A large part of today's program, ladies and germs, will be about the Emmy Award nominations that came out yesterday. I'm actually recording this on Friday morning, right after finishing Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio, where Jeff Schwartz and I hosted all week long. Clay will be back on Monday, by the way. And a cultural note, he, of course... Covers Game of Thrones pretty hardcore. He will be back in time to do his live reaction show on Periscope and Facebook Live on Sunday night, and I'm sure he'll probably want to talk about it Monday morning. I'm going to have to talk him out of that on the air because can't spoil something less than 24 hours after it happens. There'll be a lot of folks that can't see it Sunday night, so we'll have to curtail him somehow. But if you do watch it, you can obviously do it there. And I'm going to talk some about Game of Thrones. I won't talk much about it here. And as we go episode by episode... That following week's podcast, I will work through Game of Thrones episode one, for example. Next week's show, I will cover that. And one of the things that I'm planning on doing is going back and watching all the finales, all the season finales, and actually all the penultimates in season finales. Because one thing that I'm going to get into, I don't know if it's going to be today, but the idea that the penultimate episode of any season of a drama is the one that is going to make you cry, it's the one where somebody's going to die. It's where everything is going to ramp up to a degree in which it's almost untenable. That's so you can't wait for the finale. And that is so you get a little bit of relief before they then find a way to tie into where they're headed in the future. So we'll get into that in a much bigger way in a future installment of this program. Again, I want to thank everybody for the support. The numbers continue to grow. Very, very impressed and happy that you guys are digging the show. They're enjoying listening to my voice, talking about pop culture, TV, film, music, all of those kinds of things. I haven't talked a lot about music, but I'll tell you this. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor put out a song yesterday, and he had teased it about a week ago, and he's got an EP coming out next week. He had a trilogy of EPs that kind of started last year, and this is the third of those. And if this song is any indication of that EP, if you're a fan of Nine Inch Nails at all, you need to get it. I've been a fan of Nine Inch Nails since around 1994, somewhere in there. I've seen them about as many times as I've ever seen any act. I think I've seen them seven times. Fish might be the only act I've seen more than that, and that was during my days when I was wearing a hemp necklace with a mushroom on the end of it with long hair uh, when I was graduating high school. Those photos are out there, ladies and gentlemen, so you can actually go and find them. But the Nine Inch Nails tune, I listened to it a lot yesterday. I saw Robert Mays of The Ringer actually say he listened to it like 47 times. I think he listened to it a little bit more than me, but I listened to that and The Fragile during my workout yesterday. So, if you uh, are interested in hearing some new music that's pretty interesting and uh, obviously Trent does some very prolific stuff and I've always enjoyed the vast majority of what he has put out there this was an awesome song so you definitely want to go ahead and find that and then the EP will be out next week but like I said much of this is going to be about the Emmy Awards and on Twitter I tweeted out last night 
that this is probably going to be a salty as fuck podcast. And that's the case. And it's not necessarily because a lot of what was nominated was not deserving. Now, there are some, and we'll get into those. But I'm going to start right here. The Leftovers Season 3 isn't just one of the best seasons HBO has ever had of any series. It's the best season I've ever seen. One of the best seasons. Sorry, I don't want to go too hyperbolic there. One of the best seasons of drama of any kind I have ever seen. It was superb from start to finish. It was varied. It was deep. It focused on different characters at different times. Performances were absolutely outrageous. And because the show does not have a huge viewing audience and never really did after the people kind of departed in season one, the Emmy Awards have basically decided that it's irrelevant. And that's what the Emmys do. Every year I get more and more angry at the Emmys because they reward shows with big names, big audiences, or they simply just basically star fuck, quite frankly. And that's what they've done here. No offense to House of Cards. But this season of House of Cards wasn't even good enough for me to write about. Spacey's awfully good, but that Frank Underwood character is not better than a lot of things that have been snubbed over the years. Robin Wright has done a great job on that show. House of Cards is not going to be in my top 10 this year. It's also not going to be in my top 20 this year. Yet it still gets nominated far more than it should over and over and over again. While Carrie Coon and her performance as Nora Durst this year in The Leftovers, which was by far the best thing I saw on TV, period. All due respect to Elizabeth Moss on The Handmaid's Tale. All due respect to... Uh, Michael McKeon on Better Call Saul or Jonathan Banks or any of these many great performances that we saw. Odin Kirk. She was the best. She was nominated for Fargo, where she was great as, as uh, Gloria Burgle in season three in the limited series category. But Nora Durst not nominated because The Leftovers just isn't important enough to the Emmy viewers or to the Emmy voters. HBO, Because Game of Thrones is not, you can't nominate it this year because there hasn't been an episode of it during the time frame because of the long extended delay that comes to an end this Sunday. HBO put all of its weight behind Veep, obviously, as it does every year, but also behind Westworld. And Westworld comes out with a boatload of nominations. And if you know me, you know I really enjoyed Westworld. So I'm not going to be too upset about that, except for the fact that The Leftovers is the better show. And it's not really arguable. Westworld, a little bit uneven, ended really strong. I really, really liked it because I like my mind to be screwed with. And I enjoyed all of the theorizing and things that went around and and went about with this. The Leftovers was a mystery, but it was a mystery we knew was never going to be solved. Let the mystery be, Iris DeMent sang in the season two credits. A great song, which they then brought back as they should have for the series finale. You can go find that song on YouTube right now. It's a great song. It'll stay in your head. It's an earworm, but it's a really good kind of earworm. So check it out. But Damon Lindelof said from the very beginning, yes, this show is about a rapturous event where 2% of the world's population just disappears into thin air. But we're never going to tell you why it happened. That's not the point of this show. This show was always fucking about one thing. It was about how to cope after something happens. It was about being in the moment not looking back to the past because you couldn't control what happened it doesn't matter why two percent of the population disappeared it matters what the hell the other 98 percent are going to do with their lives after that point 
Some of them spiraled into very, very bad things, had to pull themselves out of it. Some, like Kevin Garvey, would put a plastic bag over his head and simulate asphyxiation. Some, like Nora Durst, would shoot themselves while wearing a bulletproof vest. All of these kinds of things, either just to feel something or to see whether or not they cared whether they lived or died. It was a dark show. It was a bleak show. But it was a show that, in the end, actually delivered on a promise of hope that we didn't know was a promise to begin with. I didn't necessarily expect a happy ending from The Leftovers, and maybe we didn't get one. But we got one of the most brilliant decisions from a creative standpoint I've ever seen from a show when Nora, after telling Kevin whether or not you believe it was a story or the truth, I tend to believe it was the truth, that when she crossed over into the other side, not you know, originally thinking it was a scam, but when she went over there, she realized something. She realized that on the side that we've been watching for three seasons of The Leftovers, 2% disappeared. But what she forgot was, and never thought about was, and very few of us ever thought, was that on their side, 98% of the world disappeared all at once. We're so concerned about our own lives and what's in our own circle and what's in our orbit and what's part of our existence that we never stop to think about the other side of the equation. This was fabulous. And that's why I believe the story, because I can't imagine you would tell that piece of the story without it being true, because it is so beautiful and haunting when she talks about seeing that there are, look, that there are, there are airplanes on that side, but there aren't enough people to fly them. Who's making the food? Empty grocery stores. Families ripped apart where only one member is left standing. Nora, that actually happened to her, but she was one of the few on the side that we spent time with for three seasons on The Leftovers. But through it all, Nora Durst couldn't have worked without the right person playing that role. And Carrie Coon was that person. Carrie Coon, both on Fargo and The Leftovers, delivered two of the finest performances I've seen. The Gloria performance was a more understated, almost a subtle role but was instrumental to the goodness of Fargo Season 3 against the evil created by V.M. Varga and David Thewlis' character. But on The Leftovers, Nora Durst was on a completely other level. I would go to bat for Justin Thoreau as well. Kevin Garvey, absolutely outstanding this year. Justin Thoreau, no nomination by the Emmy committee because, yet again, Westworld's what HBO pushed Westworld was the one that had a little bit more buzz, actually had a lot more buzz than Leftovers, which was kind of being piled off in that last eight episodes. And so Westworld gets the do. Veep gets the do. Leftovers gets the fucking shaft. The show doesn't get a drama nomination, which is absolutely an abomination. Now, the thing about it is I was asked the day before the nominations by a couple of people on Twitter whether or not I thought... The the over-under for Leftovers Emmy nominations was 3.5 is what I was told. I said three is a good number because in my head I thought, okay, Thoreau, Coon, and the show. Maybe Ann Dowd. And what we got was Ann Dowd and her role as Patty Levin getting a guest actress nomination. And that's it. No show, no Thoreau, no Coon. You don't give Carrie Coon a nomination for The Leftovers. I consider not even talking about this show. I considered boycotting the Emmys altogether, 
not tweeting at night of, not writing about it at outkick.com, not talking about it on a show like this, never mentioning it on this podcast. Because to me, you've made yourself illegitimate. Drama series nominations by the Emmys. Better Call Saul. Love that show. Told you it's the second best show I've seen all year. The Crown from Netflix. A very, very good show and certainly worthy of nomination. The Handmaid's Tale. You knew it was going to be nominated. I talked about it on the first episode. The fact that some people say that it's some kind of an allegory to what's about to happen in our world is utterly freaking batshit insane. But it was a great television show. Absolutely outstanding. And a reason to subscribe to Hulu along with a couple of other things. Casual, which is now into season three and has been very, very good so far, would be another one. House of Cards. You've got to be fucking kidding me. The Leftovers isn't nominated. Rectify is not nominated, but House of Cards, yet again, gets nominated. No. Stranger Things was last year's Buzz show. I'm not surprised to see it get nominated. Did it deserve to be nominated for Best Drama? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. But I enjoyed that show. I liked what it tried to do. I liked the originality and the nostalgia of it all. So I kind of just sort of grinned when I saw that in a positive way. I was like, hey, you know what? Good for them. I'm really looking forward to season two. They dropped that teaser poster, which is now the background on my iPhone. I am very, very looking forward to the end of October, the week of Halloween, when they release season two. I'm going to binge that with some people I care about probably and just have a gang good old time. This is us from NBC, which that one makes sense as well. I'm not going to say there's really any reason to be upset there as well because, one, it was a pretty good show despite the fact the finale was absolutely hideous and may have wrecked the show. I remember at the end of the first season of Empire, I said, I'm not sure that we haven't already seen the end of Empire, that we've seen the best of this show, and they're probably not going to be able to duplicate this again, and maybe we should just stop watching now and preserve the pretty good memories of that first year i was proven to be right everything since then has paled in comparison to what they pulled off in the first season so that's certainly something to look at but network shows on broadcast television nbc having a drama that gets nominated is a big thing and it's important it has not won a broadcast show has not won in the best drama category since 24 did it. I know 24 was on last year, but I'm not talking about last year. I'm not talking about the last few seasons. I'm talking about 24 season five. That's over 10 years ago is the last time a broadcast drama actually won an Emmy. So having a chance to nominate something like This Is Us, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if This Is Us actually won the whole damn thing. But I saw Alan Seppenwall of Uproxx suggest that Westworld is probably the favorite because it's an HBO show in a year where Game of Thrones doesn't exist. And it's a buzzworthy show with big names. Anthony Hopkins, Evan Rachel Wood, just to name a few. Ed Harris, another one. So I think that those are probably your two favorites, quite frankly. But The Handmaid's Tale is the bell of the ball. It's politically exactly where the left wants it to be. Emmy voters are nothing if not leftists television industry, entertainment industry, full of leftists. So The Handmaid's Tale, you can't count out either. I think those are the only three that are are really potentially the ones that could win the category. But again, The Leftovers does not get a drama series nomination. 
which is a complete load of horse shit. It's almost offensive. It's so stupid. Did they not watch the show at all? The answer is probably not. Because if they had, Carrie Coon would be nominated. If they had, Justin Theroux probably nominated. Not to mention Kevin Garvey Sr. and that performance. And Dowd was great. And I'm certainly happy that she got a nomination. But Carrie Coon is the biggest snub I've seen in the Emmys in quite some time. Comedy series. Atlanta from FX. Absolutely fantastic show. I called it the comedy of the year in my Outkick Top 10 last year. Blackish, also an outstanding show. Master of None, I've talked about it a little bit on this show. Season 2 is better than Season 1. They're both fabulous. Some of the best stuff on Netflix or on streaming television, period, belongs to Aziz Ansari's Master of None. Silicon Valley, not its best year, but still a great show. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, good. Glad it got nominated. Great show. Titus Burgess also got a nomination for Supporting Actor in a Comedy. And he's fantastic. So that's a good thing. Veep, still per capita, the best laughs in the history of TV. The most laughs. Vile show. But an indispensable comedy that we will probably never forget in our lifetime. And it may actually outlast us. Because it's going to find a way to stay relevant. Because insults never get old, folks. Not when they're just a bunch of fucks and comes and orgasms and cocks in your face and everything else all of that stuff that stuff is timeless i know that sounds sad but it's the truth and then there's modern fucking family modern family which peaked about five years ago is an emmy's nocturnal emission every year it just gets rubber stamped the same way house of cards gets rubber stamped it's just, well, yeah, we've certainly modern. Well, all right, so we get to the best comedy category. What are we going to nominate, folks? All right, well, Modern Family and what else? That's literally how it goes. Modern Family season, I watched every episode. I'm pretty much done with the show. The last thing that I cared about was Haley's relationship with, uh, I can't even remember the guy's name, the workaholics, Adam Devine. And once they ended that, really don't care anymore. I've seen enough of these people. They're all very, very talented. I like them. I enjoyed watching this show for, for several years. But it is nowhere close to the best comedy, even on its own network, quite frankly. Blackish is better. Speechless is much better. Speechless should be nominated in this category over Modern Family, without question. I enjoy the Goldbergs more than I enjoy Modern Family, just in terms of entertainment value. I don't think necessarily either one should be nominated because of the quality of the category. But I'm going to throw out another Comedy to you, completely overlooked in this category that I loved. Michael Schur went from Parks and Recreation to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, still working with that show, but he also went and helped executive produce The Good Place on NBC with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. That was one of my favorite television experiences of the entire year, period. I was not alone. Damn near every critic agreed with virtually every word I'm telling you right now. And the finale was pure genius. I had no idea they were going to pull that twist in the last five minutes. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I urge you to fucking watch that show so that it stays on the damn air. Peak TV, you can't watch it all, but you can't miss shit like The Good Place. Good Place was so original and so well done. So smart. A cast that you really will get to like. You don't know a lot of them, but Bell and Danson kind of hold down the fort and everybody comes around. And honestly... If you want to go even further, I'd put Superstore on this list before I'd put Modern Family on it. 
like 9,000 times before I put Modern Family on it. Modern Family was perfectly adequate. Adequate should not be nominated for an Emmy. This is the participation award that I got on field day because I was able to run around a fucking Maypole. That's ridiculous. Atlanta, yes. Master of None, absolutely. Silicon Valley, sure. Veep, absolutely. Unbreakable Kimmy Smith, sure. Blackish, absolutely. Modern Family, get the fuck out of my face. Drama actress. Viola Davis for How to Get Away with Murder. That show's already passed its prime, but she's awfully good. Claire Foy in The Crown, no problem there. She was great. Elizabeth Moss in The Handmaid's Tale, you can go ahead and just chalk it up. I think she'll win. If she doesn't, it'll be because Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld does, and Evan Rachel Wood does deserve a nomination, absolutely, for her performance in that show. Carrie Russell for The Americans should be nominated every year. This was the worst season of The Americans, so the show was not even nominated for Best Drama. Certainly, it should have over fucking House of Cards and Stranger Things, as much as I like Stranger Things. And then there's Robin Wright from House of Cards, because of course there is. She's great. Look, the, the Claire Underwood character is very good, and she's excellent. I don't have nearly as much of a problem with Robin Wright as I do with Spacey continually getting nominated. I absolutely love Kevin Spacey. I'd rather see him get nominated for Baby Driver than this. And, of course, he's not getting nominated for Baby Driver. What else would you put in the drama actress category? I don't know. Carrie fucking Coon? As a start? And that's all I even need to say about it right there. Drama actor. Sterling K. Brown. This is us. Best performer on that show. Best performance of many fantastic performances last year on the People vs. O.J. Simpson. Won an Emmy there. Could win an Emmy here. Bob Odenkirk. I will stand up and applaud that anytime. Matthew Reese in The Americans. Philip Jennings and his portrayal. This wasn't his strongest season. Wasn't the show's strongest season. He's outstanding. Always should be nominated. Liev Schreiber. I don't watch Ray Donovan. But I know Liev Schreiber is very good in that show. So I'm not going to comment any further. I can't watch it all. Ray Donovan does not make my cut. Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. <sighs> Frank Underwood character. That show doesn't exist without it. But really that show is probably done and it's still on because a lot of people watch it. What you watch has nothing to do with quality. Honey Boo Boo did really good ratings. It's a fucking cesspool. And the degradation of all society. Milo Ventimiglia on This Is Us. I like Milo. I liked him in Heroes before that show went off a cliff at the end of the first season. I liked him in Gilmore Girls. And I like him in This Is Us. I have no problem with Milo being nominated. I don't have too much of an issue there except one. And that is Justin fucking Thoreau. Again, leftovers. Left out. Also, rectify. Aiden Young. Left out. How? Oh, just because those shows just aren't that important, despite the fact that they're the best. Comedy actor, Anthony Anderson, Blackish, sure. Aziz Ansari, Master of None, absolutely. Zach Galifianakis, Baskets. Baskets, one of the most original shows. Grew as season one went along. Season two was great. You probably didn't watch it. If you're looking for a quick, easy, sort of awkward, strange binge, you know what? I'll take easy out of that. It's not the easiest show to watch, but it's fantastic. Louis Anderson also nominated for that show. We'll get to that category in a minute. Donald Glover in Atlanta. The Urn character and everything about Atlanta was picture perfect. If it wins everything, I'm not going to be upset. William H. Macy in Shameless gets nominated every single year, and he will until Shameless goes off the air. Love William H. Macy. 
was never able to really stick with Sheamus or with Shameless long term. I don't know enough about the new season to say and really speculate. Some of my critic friends said, no, this shouldn't have been this way, but this is the way the Emmys are. But I really like William H. Macy, so whatever. Jeffrey Tambor and Transparent. Transparent has had better seasons than it had this year. It's a show that is rewarded more for its idea and its political existence than anything else. What it's talking about is perfectly fine. The show is great, but it's lauded as if it's historic when really that might be going a little bit too far. It is given opportunities by critics that some other shows might not be. But at the same time, it is a very good show. This was not its best season. But Tambor, that performance, has always been outstanding. So I have no problem there either. Snubs in that category? I mean, you could go with somebody like Danson or, you know, some of those kind of folks. I don't have too much of a problem in a comedy actor category because really... It's Aziz and Donald Glover and everybody else as far as I'm concerned. Either one of them wins, I'll be okay with it. Probably would give it to Glover. Because Aziz, at times, you can tell he's acting. Donald Glover, I can't. Not in this role. Not in this show. Comedy actress. Pamela Adlon. Better Things. Another show that not enough people watched, and I'm glad she got nominated because it's very, very good. Tracy Ellis Ross is fantastic on Blackish as Rainbow. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin from Grace and Frankie, they're fantastic. That show is another one that the Emmys is always going to like, so I'm not terribly surprised to see that one happen. Allison Janney and Mom, she gets nominated virtually every year because she's Allison Janney. Allison Janney's great in everything. Mom is a show that I was sure was going to suck, and then you watch a little bit of it and you find out, okay, this is actually better than all the rest of this CBS crap. Ellie Kemper and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, one of the most likable characters. Widest smiles. And that show should get recognized, and I'm glad it has. Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Veep is going to win again. And should, because it's the best performance on comedy on TV, period. Limited series, Big Little Lies, kind of came out of nowhere, was really, really, really strong. Nomination, not a surprise nor is it undeserving. Fargo, FX. Just like last year, just like season one, it's in the limited series category, despite the fact that its runtime was longer than some of the things that you see in the best drama category. Stranger Things is not a limited series, but there were nowhere near as many episodes of that as there were Fargo. But that's the way it goes. Feud, Bet and Joan, that is just, they love Ryan Murphy. That show was very good. They like all the people associated with what they're doing there. So that's one that you can probably, every time there's a feud, you're going to see a lot of nominations come from it. Really not too big of a problem there. It's not going to make my top ten, but I enjoyed the show. The Night Of, I wrote on for HBO last year. Thought that it started strong, ended fairly weak, went off the rails, changed up some of the storyline from the British adaptation, and the way that they ended it, the way that they turned the Nas character so fast when it looked like not enough time had passed for him to become what he became in jail. Really did wreck it, but it was still full of great performances, and I don't really have too much of a problem with it being nominated. And then there's Genius from National Geographic, which I can't comment on because I didn't see it. Limited series actor, Night of Riz Ahmed, absolutely, he was great. 
Benedict Cumberbatch and Sherlock the Lying Detective. Problem for Benedict Cumberbatch this year and Sherlock is after a long hiatus, that show came back and was not good. Every season of Sherlock was so great and so fun to watch. Then they came back and they went convoluted. The stuff did not, it wasn't fun anymore. It was a chore to get through those three episodes this time. They need to go back and simplify it. He's still fantastic as Sherlock Holmes. Benedict Cumberbatch is awesome, but he was not the best year for him. Robert De Niro in The Wizard of Lies, the Bernie Madoff story on HBO, which followed up the Richard Dreyfuss Madoff story on ABC. That was really good. I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't, if you got two hours, it's worth seeing. Absolutely. Ewan McGregor and Fargo played two roles, both Ennis, pardon me, Emmett and Ray Stussy. He was great. Of course, he gets nominated, should be nominated. Jeffrey Rush in Genius, again, maybe I'll see that sometime. I'll be able to tell you about it. John Turturro in The Night Of, had to know that was coming. He was really the biggest star on that show, and a lot of it was about his eczema, which was actually overdone, but he he plays that kind of awkward, almost creepy role to perfection. Limited series actress, Carrie Coon for Fargo. Would love to see her win. Even if I can then say that that award is also for the leftovers. Because she's already won Miami. Felicity Huffman for American Crime. Felicity Huffman is great. She's been great for a long time. Loved her in sports tonight. She's worked hard. Her and her husband, William H. Macy, are two just terrific actors. American Crime is a show that was all about politics and trying to set an agenda. The audience was never particularly huge, but it still got three seasons. It pushed envelopes. And Felicity Huffman was certainly amongst the strongest performers on that show. Nicole Kidman in Big Little Lies, no surprise. Her name is Nicole Kidman. Big Little Lies was very good. Jessica Lange in Feud, Jessica Lange's name. Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon's name. And Feud is a show they like, and Feud was a good show. And Reese Witherspoon in Big Little Lies. Again, Reese Witherspoon, all you need to know. And again, Big Little Lies was a very solid effort from HBO to the extent that There was never talk of season two, but now there is a talk of season two. Even though there's not really a story, they'll find a way because of how many people enjoyed season one. Supporting actor in a drama series, John Lithgow in The Crown. He's John Lithgow, and The Crown was great. Jonathan Banks in Better Call Saul was absolutely fantastic. Mandy Patinkin in Homeland. Thank God we didn't mention this in Best Drama. Thank God Homeland was not not nominated for Best Drama because it wasn't one. It was nuts. The first half of it was not very good at all. Then it got very good, or it got entertaining in the back half. Best part of it was Rupert Friend in terms of his performance. There was a time I was writing on Homeland every week this past season where I said that they should have killed the Quinn character off because it was irritating me. But Rupert Friend was great. Guess who didn't get nominated this year? Rupert Friend. But guess who did? Mandy Patinkin, because Saul Berenson is going to get nominated. Mandy's great, and he was good this season. So I'm not going to be too upset about it. Michael Kelly in House of Cards, whatever, man. The Doug Stamper character is really good, but House of Cards at this point, you got to be kidding. David Harbour in Stranger Things. I enjoyed David Harbour's performance in Stranger Things. Ron Cephas Jones in This Is Us. Really liked that role. Deserved and kind of a name that you, you may not have expected immediately, and it's good to see. Jeffrey Wright in Westworld. Jeffrey Wright was very good. I know I'm saying the same kind of adjectives here, but I'm rolling through it relatively quickly until I get to something that really pisses me off. And I'm getting to one of the biggest ones here in just a second. 
supporting actress in a drama series. And Dowd and the Leftovers. Thank freaking Lord. One, at least. Samira Wiley in The Handmaid's Tale. Yep, gotcha, understood. Uzo Aduba again for Orange is the New Black. Not the best season of that show, but Uzo and that Crazy Eyes character has kind of been in the Emmy pantheon now for a few seasons. So, And she was very good, quite frankly. Millie Bobby Brown, 11 in Stranger Things. She's the most recognizable, the most important character from a show everybody is still talking about. And she seems to be a charming young girl, and I'm happy for her. Chrissy Metz in This Is Us was the breakout star of that show. We already knew a little bit about Sterling K. Brown. We knew who Milo Ventimiglia was. We knew who Mandy Moore was. Chrissy Metz came onto the scene, and except for the fact that the writers incessantly did nothing pretty much for the entire season, but find a way for her to be upset that she was fat every time she was on screen. Her entire story was, how can I lose weight? I'm so unhappy to be fat, constantly. Chrissy Metz was fantastic. Well-deserved nomination. And Thandie Newton in Westworld, again, another one that I have no problem with. Thandie Newton was excellent. I don't have any problem with Westworld. The only thing I have against Westworld is it got everything and the leftovers got nothing. And I think both of them deserved love. Supporting actor in a comedy, Alec Baldwin for Saturday Night Live, for Donald Trump, obviously. Louis Anderson in Baskets, he's won before. He's fantastic in that role. It's a very difficult role to play. He has committed to playing that female character. I like it a lot. I'm glad to see him continuing to get nominated. Ty Burrell for Modern Family. I mean, I really like Ty on that show, and the Phil Dunphy character is the most likable character on the entire show. I just think Modern Family's done. But if you're going to give it a nomination, Ty Burrell's probably the way to go. Titus Burgett, Burgess and uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Again, like I said, very, very fun character. He's very good. I'm glad that he got a nomination. That is an extension for that show. And this was a good year for Kimmy Schmidt. All the years have been good. If you haven't watched that show, you should. And then two from Veep. Tony Hale, Gary, of course, Matt Walsh, Mike McClintock. Anybody that gets nominated for Veep, I'm not going to really argue about. There are other people that never do get nominated that probably could for that show. Tony Hale and Matt Walsh are awfully good. Supporting actress in a comedy series. All right, here we go. This is where if there needed to be bleeps, this would be the best place for them. I know I've dropped some fucks in this show, but it's about to get real out of control now. Kate McKinnon for Saturday Night Live, no problem there, obviously. She's the most talented variety performer of the last decade. Vanessa Bear, no, not in my opinion. Anna Klumski for Veep, yes. Judith Light and Katherine Hahn for Transparent, yes. And then we get to nominee number six. Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you to sit back and listen to me say this. Leslie Jones for Saturday Night Live being nominated for an Emmy is the equivalent of Jason Martin for Outkick the Culture being nominated for an Emmy. I can't be nominated because this is not a television show. But my performance is about 700 times what Leslie Jones is on her best damn day. 
Leslie Jones, who goes on Weekend Update and talks about how she wants to fuck Colin Jost and says a bunch of sexual innuendo for three or four minutes and laughs at the at laughs and smiles at the screen inappropriately. Leslie Jones, who cannot read a cue card to save her fucking life. The next time I see her get through a skit without flubbing words will be the first. She is disastrous on that show. The Weekend Update thing, I get it, but you do it like twice a season. They put her on every fucking week because they felt they had to. The Ghostbusters controversy. And look, when you've got Milo Yiannopoulos as the opposite side of the aisle, yeah, that's an easy guy to vilify. He's kind of an ass clown. Not kind of. He's an ass clown. But Leslie Jones is not talented. She's a good comic, good stand-up comic, but what she's being nominated for here, she's not just underqualified, she's unqualified. She's the worst thing about that show. When she comes on the screen, I know the skit is going to suck, it's going to fall apart, she's going to lose track of her lines, she's going to screw it up, and then if it's on Weekend Update, I just fast forward, because I usually watch that show about an hour late, and when I see her, I'll just skip her four minutes, because I've seen her four minutes every fucking time she comes on that same fucking show every fucking week. Her in top five, Chris Rock movie? Sure, liked it. I thought she was better in Ghostbusters than I expected her to be. But you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, more so than anything, that Leslie Jones, of all people, is nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series for her role in Saturday Night Live. Have these people ever watched Saturday Night Live? Did they watch one episode last year? If they did, that should be enough to disqualify Leslie Jones, not just this year, but every year. She's gotten no better. She is a terrible, just I can't even begin to describe how bad she is at reading cue cards. If she can just go out there and ad lib and do it, because I don't think the weekend update is entirely scripted for her. That's when she's at her best. But even then, you are out of your damn minds if you think she deserves to be anywhere near an Emmy nomination for Saturday Night Live. She may be a lovely person. I've never met her before. This is not about her as a person. This is about her as a performer on a show that the television basically glitterati and Illuminati decided needed to be nominated for her performance on that show. And it's abysmal. It's indefensively bad every single week. Yet, Leslie Jones gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. And I think it might have a lot more to do with what she represents than her actual talent. Sorry, that's the truth. This is outkick the fucking culture. Deal with it. Variety talk series, full frontal with Samantha B. leftist as it gets, but Samantha B. is funny. Jimmy Kimmel Live, last week tonight with John Oliver. Most of his long stories are filled with one-sided information, but I have always enjoyed that show, and I like John Oliver. Late Late Show with James Corden is basically nominated because people like James Corden. They like the karaoke thing. They like that he has fun with his guests but in a more genuine fashion than Fallon appears. Real time with Bill Maher, whatever. 
and the late show with Stephen Colbert because Colbert is a darling, even though a lot of that show really had Trump not won, I'm not sure that show even survives. Luckily for Stephen Colbert, it did, and it gave him all the content he will need to potentially become a behemoth before Trump is out of office, unless that happens next week. Reality show, I honestly don't care enough. Television movie, Sherlock the Lying Detective nominated, Wizard of Lies nominated. I could see Wizard of Lies winning. Maybe Black Mirror, San Junipero. Um, Black Mirror is something you should check out if you have not. Variety sketch series, documentary now. Nobody watches that, but it's good on IFC. Drunk History has been pretty good. Portlandia is well past its prime. Saturday Night Live, I thought, had a really bad season. Most people disagree with me, but that's because most of the people in the critical circles are leftists, so they enjoyed all the Trump stuff. Me, I just got tired of it. Like I said, I didn't vote for the guy. Never would. But it just got old. Sean Spicer stuff was much better to me with Melissa McCarthy. Tracy Ullman show. Her just kind of coming back onto the scene, and it wasn't really a strong year for Variety Sketch. Structured reality program. I don't care because I don't watch enough of them. Fixer Upper, I've watched some, and I do like that show. Unstructured reality, I'm going to keep passing on that. Host for a reality competition program, who cares? Here we go. Supporting actor in a limited series or movie. Bill Camp in The Night Of was very good. Alfred Molina in Feud, very good. Alexander Skarsgård in Big Little, Big Little Lies was very good. Stanley Tucci in Feud, very good. Some of these names, by the way, are big names. Alfred Molina, Stanley Tucci, Michael K. Williams in The Night Of, who, of course, is Omar in The Wire, and he was kind of the guy that led to Nas's breakdown in prison. Michael K. Williams is fantastic, and he was great all the way through The Night Of. And then there's David Thewlis for Fargo, who played VM Varga. And personally, I hope he wins. I don't think he will, but that character was a pure villain, It was not an easy character to be that just ugly all the time. What he had to do with his teeth, his facial expressions, delivered his dialogue in such a perfect manner. So I'm pulling for David Thewlis, but that's a a good category overall. Supporting actress in a limited series of movie, Judy Davis in Feud, Laura Dern, Big Little Lies, Jackie Hoffman in Feud, Regina King in American Crime, Regina King, who was great in The Leftovers in season two but has been great in American Crime in all three years, was also great in Southland. Regina King is one of television's brightest faces, so it's good to see her get nominated. Michelle Pfeiffer for The Wizard of Lies. Uh, Wizard of Lies is very good. And Shailene Woodley in Big Little Lies. A lot of lies in that category, three of the six. Two from one show, one from the movie. Directing for a comedy series, Morgan Sackett, David Mandel, and Dale Stern for separate episodes of Veep. Jamie Babbitt and Mike Judge for two episodes of Silicon Valley and Donald Glover for Atlanta. Veep probably wins it, but Donald Glover should. I don't even I don't even have the actual episode that was submitted in front of me, but anything Atlanta's nominated for when Master of None is not also in the category, I'm going to pull for Atlanta. Directing for a drama series, Better Call Saul, Vince Gilligan, The Crown, Stephen Daldry, Handmaid's Tale, two separate episodes, Reed Morano and Kate Dennis, Homeland, Leslie Linka Gladder, you can throw that one out. Not because she's not good, but because nothing from Homeland should win that category. The Duffer Brothers for Stranger Things. Direction was always strong in that show. And Jonathan Nolan for Westworld. Again, direction was always strong in that show. So another category I really don't have too many huge problems with. Directing for a limited series. 
Only thing I'll mention here is Noah Hawley was nominated for Fargo, and I love Noah Hawley, but he was nominated for the season opener of season three, which was like the fourth or fifth best episode of the season from a direction standpoint as well. Like Noah Hawley directed better episodes this season and was part of better episodes this season than episode one, but episode one's the one that was nominated. And I guess the one they submitted for whatever reason. Directing for a variety, I don't care. Directing for a variety, directing for a nonfiction. Ezra Edelman for OJ Made in America. You can just go ahead and chalk that up as it's going to win, as it should. It was the best thing on TV, period, last year. That's what I said in my Outkick review. Drama, comedy, didn't matter. That five-part 30 for 30 uh, special event on OJ Simpson was the best thing I saw all year. Most affecting thing I saw all year and was stunning in many respects. Writing for a comedy series, Donald and Stephen Glover for separate episodes of Atlanta, Aziz Ansari and Lena Waithe for Master of None, Alec Berg, who of course T.J. Miller rolled a bus over when he left the show this year for Silicon Valley, Billy Kimball, David Mandel for two episodes of Veep. We don't have any problem anytime you see those shows mentioned. Writing for a drama series, Weisberg and Fields for The Americans, Gordon Smith for Better Call Saul, Bruce Miller for Handmaids. Duffer Brothers, Stranger Things, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan for Westworld, and Peter Morgan for The Crown. Thank God there's no House of Cards there. Thank God there's no Homeland there. If you notice, in the writing and directing categories, you're seeing No, This Is Us. All of that was driven by the actors, it seems like, at least according to the Emmy situations. And that's most of the big ones. There are some others, certainly, that we could go into. Guest actors, guest actresses, all of those kinds of things. One other thing I want to mention is Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot Season 2. Recall Rami Malek winning for Season 1 for his role as Elliot Alderson, winning an Emmy for Best Actor in a, in a uh, Drama Series. This year he doesn't even get nominated. Is that because Rami Malek sucked? No. He was great. It's because that show in Season 2 almost fell off a cliff because Sam Esmail decided he wanted to start fucking with people's minds continuously and lying to them about what they were seeing on screen. It lost its train of thought. It's okay to go off the rails as long as I can still see the locomotive in the distance. Unfortunately, that was not the case in Mr. Robot Season 2 more often than not. And then the finale did not stick the landing. Season 3 is going to be really important for this show. Because Rami Malek was still great. And he wasn't alone. Pretty much all the performances on that show, the key performances, were fantastic. That show barely made my top 20 and it probably shouldn't have in retrospect. Season two was just not very good, and it should have been. So there you go. There are my thoughts on the leftovers. There there are my thoughts on the Emmys. I said the leftovers first because I'm going to give them due before I give the award show that snubbed them due. And Dowd, the only nominee from the best show on TV all year by a wide margin. Bite me, Emmys. Also, one other snub I want to mention. I'm in the middle of a rewatch of BoJack Horseman. Netflix made a few announcements this week. One, that BoJack has new episodes coming in September, so the fourth season is on the way, finally, thankfully. And that Stranger Things is on its way back the week of Halloween is when the new episodes hit. October 27th is the date. Two big pieces of information about shows that I like. Stranger Things, everybody is going to stop what they are doing on October the 27th or that week. They're going to sit down with people and they're going to watch this show and they're going to talk about it a lot. And that's good for Netflix and it's good for all of us because that show is fun to talk about. Barb was nominated, by the way, Shannon Purser, mainly because there was an internet campaign about the Barb character in Stranger Things. The fact that Barb was nominated 
for an Emmy. And Carrie Coon was not for The Leftovers is ridiculous. Now, Shannon Purser was nominated in the guest actress category, and that's where Ann Dowd was nominated for The Leftovers. The uh, earlier category, when I said was The Leftovers, was actually for The Handmaid's Tale. So the guest actress is the only nominee that The Leftovers got for The Most Powerful Man in the World and his identical twin brother, which was the dual Kevin Garvey uh, hallucination episode, basically. Not hallucination, but you know what I'm talking about. But Barb, nominated for Stranger Things, is utterly insane. And it's funny, except that it actually happened. It's not even that she was bad. It's not. I don't have anything against Shannon Purser. She was barely even in the the episodes. And then she disappeared very quickly. And that became the story. What happened to Barb? Why does nobody care that Barb disappeared? Well, now she's reappeared in an Emmy category. One she will not win, as she's in there with Allison Wright from The Americans, Alexis Bedell from Handmaid's Tale, Cicely Tyson from How to Get Away with Murder, and Dowd, who I think should win, of course. Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black. She will not win, but the nomination is just kind of like, all right, let's throw them a bone. It's Stranger Things. Who cares? It's just the Emmys. And I was mentioning BoJack Horseman. September new episodes come out. Season two of BoJack Horseman a few years ago was one of my favorite things on all of TV. Made my top ten, would have made my top five if I had had to cut it in half. Maybe would have made my top two or three. Season three... Same exact thing. Season three featured an episode, Fish Out of Water, which was basically silent because Bojack was underwater, and thus we just had to watch as if we were him, not understanding the language being spoken. Of course, being underwater, you can't hear anything anyway. Probably the best episode of TV, period, anywhere in the last 12 months. Most original, certainly. It's right there with a couple from the leftovers in season three, certainly, but... I would say the BoJack episode was the most unique and lasting memory I have from TV over the last 12 months. Show wasn't nominated in the animated category, which I just, I don't understand. Archer, Bob's Burgers, Elena, and The Secret of Avalor, The Simpsons, and South Park were the five shows nominated for animated program. How on earth BoJack Horseman was not nominated in that category is almost as angering and frustrating as the leftovers in the drama category. And there are people listening right now that either don't like the leftovers or are tired of hearing me say it, fucking get over it. And if you haven't watched the show, fucking watch the show. And then come back and talk to me. Because you won't. You'll say, good lord, he was right. Bojack Horseman, the leftovers being snubbed. Kristen Shaw was nominated for Bojack Horseman in a uh, voice category. But that was it. That is absurd. Those episodes are coming back in September. We're going to do a lot on this podcast about them. I'm going to write about the season as I have the last two for OutKick. It will almost assuredly be in my top ten again. One of the darkest shows on TV. Comparisons to BoJack Horseman as a character. Just in case you're like, I'm not going to watch this cartoon. Walter White. Don Draper. Tony Soprano. Frank Underwood. Those are the comparisons to the darkness and the destructive narcissism of BoJack Horseman. BoJack Horseman, which is animated, full of animal puns, because the story itself and the substance is so black 
that you need the balance to laugh in the background just to be able to take it all. And as a result, you get a perfect balance of something serious that you can still laugh at. And Raphael Bob Waxberg and everybody associated with BoJack Horseman, as I'm going back and rewatching and even appreciating those early four or five episodes before the show really found its voice and went where it wanted to go originally. The show is magnificent, magnificent television. Don't look at the fact that it's animated. Watch it for the substance. You will not be disappointed. You should watch it today. First thing, if you have not watched The Leftovers, I guess. If you watch, if you haven't watched The Leftovers, that should be first. But BoJack Horseman should be next. And I know you overlook it when you go through the Netflix list and you're looking for documentaries. You see 13 Reasons Why. You see Ozark. Or you see whatever it is. Bloodline. BoJack's better than all of what I just mentioned. All of it. And it's not even all that close. So get off your ass and watch good television. Not that it's going to matter to the Emmy voters. But it's just unbelievable to me that BoJack did not get nominated in that category. So I said that we we're going to spend a lot of this show on the Emmys. And we did. And kind of ran down a lot of categories. Hope it wasn't too pedantic for you. It was just absurd. The leftovers really pissed me off. BoJack actually pissed me off as well. But... House of Cards and all these shows, Modern Family, and these shows that have been there forever that they just can't get off the pedestal for whatever reason is stunting the growth of so many of these shows that we know are better than what gets nominated. That can happen in the Academy Awards, but usually it doesn't. Yeah, Heath Ledger should have been nominated for The Dark Knight, and you'll see mistakes made and you'll see things done that don't make a whole lot of sense. I thought Boyhood deserved more love than it ended up getting a few years ago, for example. But the Emmys, last year, they somehow got it right. And there is so much television on right now that it is very hard to be a, a somebody that nominates and picks the best of the best on this scale. What these people have to do is a very difficult job. I'm not poo-pooing that at all. I'm saying they did a shitty job at something difficult this year. And what's most sad about it is that it's exactly what I expected. I said three would have been a good number for the leftovers when I was asked on Twitter, as I mentioned earlier. But when I saw one, and it was Ann Dowd, the show wasn't nominated, Kuhn wasn't nominated, Thoreau wasn't nominated, I just had to laugh. It's just like, of course. Of freaking course. Doesn't mean it's not the best show of the year, because it is. Season three one of the greatest seasons of TV in my entire lifetime. I'm 38 years old. Finally, let's talk a little bit about Glow. I kind of teased we were going to talk about it last week and we never got to it. Pissed off a couple of people with that. So let's talk a little Glow here. Glow, I said, would be this year's Stranger Things for the summer. Something people would be talking about they weren't expecting to be talking about before it launched. And that's kind of what's happened. I don't know that it's blown up as big as Stranger Things. I didn't necessarily think that it would. But... General consensus is, at the very least, it's pretty good. I thought it was very good because it mixed a good comedy show that did not rely on constant laughter with a story where the depth of the characters rang true, not just the main two, not just Debbie and Ruth, but a lot of the other people on the show became very important. And also not just the Sam Sylvia character as well. It was well-made, 
Jinji Cohan, when you put your name on something, you usually probably should check it out, and that is what we saw. But the show used pro wrestling in a way that it was able to tell a story inside of a story inside of a story. We cared about these people. We cared about their backstories, and that is the key to the whole freaking thing. Learning about Cherry Bang and her husband and her desire to be a, an actress taken seriously in the 80s as a black woman. Just as one example, Sheila the She-Wolf, Gail Rankin's character, and how that developed and how she was just sort of an outcast and somebody that marched to a different drum. But kind of a pretty girl underneath it all. Just somebody that was scared. Not necessarily trying to stand out. Just somebody that was more comfortable in disguise. Didn't want you to know her for who maybe she actually was. Those are just two examples of many on this show. Ruth Wilder, Debbie Egan, of course, we got to know very well. Sam Sylvia, we got to know very well. We haven't talked enough about Chris Lowell, who played Bash. Bash, who was basically the David McClain character, David McClain being the person behind the original Glow, Bash being sort of the money man and the mark behind Glow. But he was very good. And I was waiting for him to become a sniveling snake that had all these ulterior motives, but he really didn't. He's just a wrestling fan whose mom wasn't proud of him, who was still trying to make the best of it. All of this worked. The show was 10 episodes, and then it got out of the way, and it left in a way that you want it back. And, of course, it's going to come back. But it ends with the pilot, the first episode of the actual Glow Wrestling show, and the swerve, which is the term we use in wrestling, where Ruth is in, or where Ruth wins, Debbie's in the crowd. They end up doing all these different things, but it turns out Debbie was in on it the whole time, and it was a big setup. Kate Nash, Britannica, Jackie Tone, Melrose, Britt Barron, Scab, all of these people. Really, really good. Beirut, the Mad Bomber, Snitamani was very, very good in the season. Vicky the Viking. There were so many people to really, really enjoy. Brittany Young as Machu Picchu may be one of the most likable on the whole show. There were a lot of wrestlers that took part in this show as different ways. John Morrison, Brodus Clay, Carlito, Joey Ryan, uh, Laura James, who of course is his wife, Alex Riley, Brooke Hogan was in it, if you didn't notice. Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian were in it. So it had the wrestlers behind it. And I saw Jeff Jarrett, who's a friend of a friend of my wrestling program on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville and somebody that I've gotten to know a little bit over the past few years in charge of Global Force Wrestling right now. Say that he was watching Glow. He was about three or four episodes into it, and he loved it. Most of the people I know in wrestling that I've talked to about the show really, really dig it. It does not make wrestling look bad. And so many things about the industry do. The Wrestler, for example, Darren Aronofsky's movie where Mickey Rourke really kind of burst back onto the scene and Marissa Tomei kind of reemerged as well. The Wrestler made professional wrestling look awful. And a lot of what was in The Wrestler is accurate, but there's also a good side that was never shown. What you see in Glow is kind of both sides. Yes, there are some negatives, but there are some positives. But it really, if it was a show about wrestling, I don't know how many people would care. It was a show about these people, about these women, about this time frame. Even the abortion storyline with Ruth and how that played out. 
and very interestingly enough, Allison Bree got Rich Summer on. Rich Summer from Mad Men, Harry, somehow, back with Allison Bree for a little while at least, hanging out on Glow. But we're getting to know people that we have not seen as much, that we don't know as well. Betty Gilpin is somebody that you know if you watch Nurse Jackie, but you don't really know. Now you do. Debbie Egan, Liberty Bell, is somebody we're going to remember. Ruth Wilder, Zoya the Destroyer, we do know Allison Brie. They needed an Allison Brie on this show to get people interested, and they've done it. And Mark Marin is still the star of the whole thing to me. Mark Marin next year had better fucking be nominated for an Emmy because that performance right now is my favorite that I've seen on any comedy series all year. And look, Glow is not your traditional comedy. It's not your laugh-a-minute comedy. You laugh because it's funny, but not because it's intentionally trying to be funny all the time. Which brings me to the big sick. Camille Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, real-life husband and wife, who met under interesting circumstances. Camille, a stand-up comic. Emily Gordon, who co-hosts video game and X-Files podcasts with him, and she does TV and she's in entertainment as well. She was not in the film. Zoe Kazan played her, but Camille obviously was in the film. Apatow produced it. It's the best thing Apatow has been associated with in a minute as well, even though I did like the show on HBO that they did last year. Big Sick. I still think Baby Driver is my favorite film of the year, but the Big Six in the top three. Big three, uh, Big Sick is another sh- another situation where you have a comedy that is not going for constant laughs. And thus, when the laughs come, they're louder and they're more heartwarming. This story was great, and it was true, or a lot of it was true. It was a romantic comedy with a fucking brain. What a novel damn concept that is. Not too long. Well done. Heart all the way through it. You root for Kamel, even after he makes his mistake. Ray Romano, who is so vastly underrated as a performer. I loved Everybody Loves Raymond. I still watch it to this day. I talked about Red and Blue shows last week. Ultimate Blue show is Everybody Loves Raymond. Until, you know, there are a lot of situations where he's yelling and they're all yelling. And those are Red shows. But there are some certainly some Blue episodes. But Ray Romano was also in a show that was on TNT called Men of a Certain Age with Andre Brower and Scott Bakula. That show made it for a very, very short time. And you can barely find it anywhere now because of rights and all sorts of things. Ray Romano on that show was un-freaking-believable. That is when you realize just how talented this man was outside of just being a pure comic because men of a certain age, although at times it could be humorous, was a very, very hardcore drama with some tough moments. And Ray Romano was fantastic. Guess what? He was terrific in the big six as Emily's father. And Holly Hunter plays the mother. You know how good Holly Hunter is. How, I don't need to tell you. Oscar award winner for the piano. Saving Grace. So you get Ray Romano, and you get Holly Hunter, and you get Kamel Nanjiani, one of the young, real upstarts that has really kind of made it thanks to what he's done on Silicon Valley. But, you know, he had turns on Franklin and Bash. He was on the Grinder RIP, which I really loved and hated to see go off of Fox last year. He was just starting to make a name for himself. He worked in improv and all of those kinds of things. But 
this is the vehicle. I went and saw Kamel do stand-up here at the Wild West Comedy Festival in Nashville a few months ago, and he said, go see the big sick. I promise it's good. I like Kamel a lot. I thought his stand-up was very good. It was very real. He tells stories about his life. It's not all politically driven. He can get political on Twitter, but can we all? We all can, certainly. The Big Sick was his master of none. That's the best way I can put it. If you've seen Kamel Nanjiani, you've seen him do a lot of the same stuff. He's great at sarcasm. He's great at deadpan in anything he does. But just like Aziz, it all kind of felt the same. Until Master of None. Until Modern Romance, the book. You're going to feel that way about Kamel Nanjiani when you go see The Big Sick. Which I'm going to give an A right now on this show. An A. Not an A minus. An A. Go watch The Big Sick. You'll love it. Go with your boyfriend. Go with your girlfriend. Go by yourself. Just go with your friends. You're going to like it. It's got a couple of dirty things in it, but it's not a terribly dirty film. And again, it's an Apatow production, but it's an Apatow production really in name only. It's not a two and a half hour film that runs way too long. So I urge you to go see that. There's your movie review for the week here on Outkick the Culture. And I didn't know how long we were going to go today and what all we were going to talk about. And I've been talking now on the radio, and you can hear my voice kind of going in and out more often than usual, certainly, because I just did three hours of national radio, and now I've done about an hour and five minutes with you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and close up shop for the week here on Outkick the Culture. Again, sponsors, if you're out there, get in contact with me. Let's set something up. Numbers are huge. Subscriber numbers, let's just say your company wants to be associated with us right now. The Outkick brand, and obviously this show in particular, which is my baby. Sunday, Game of Thrones is back. Next week, I'll talk about Game of Thrones. Clay will talk about it on Sunday night on Periscope and Facebook. And I'll have to, again, keep him from spoiling everything Monday morning on national radio when he's back on Fox Sports. One other note, personal note, Squared Circle Radio, which is my wrestling program in Nashville, Tennessee, which runs nationally through the website and is its own podcast, Squared Circle Radio. I was able to sit down with former WWE ring announcer Justin Roberts, who wrote a book about his time in WWE before he left in 2014 that came out this year. One of the most candid books about the industry I've ever seen, where the bridge is probably burned for him to ever go back, but I don't think he has any interest. I thought maybe I'd do a half hour with him, maybe 40 minutes. I did 75, and then I had to cut it off. One of the most illuminating interviews I've ever done ever been a part of on either side amazing stuff that this guy said even if you're not a wrestling fan i think you'll enjoy it but if you are in any way a wrestling fan i urge you to listen to this interview even if you just subscribe and download the one episode or if you just follow me and you'll see me tweet it out on sunday morning the whole thing is so long we aren't going to be able to run it all on the radio but we're going to release the entire unedited version on podcast. It is unbelievable, fascinating stuff, detailed stuff about an era of WWE that a lot of people will be very interested in, including Chris Benoit and what happened, his relationship with Benoit, 
what happened and how he felt when he found out what had happened to Chris Benoit, his wife, and his son. CM Punk leaving the company and how that worked and how close he and CM Punk were as both had come from Chicago. And his feelings on, and I mean unvarnished feelings, on Triple H, Vince McMahon, and Stephanie. That's just a little bit of a tease. Those of you who are not wrestling fans probably fell asleep about 45 seconds ago, so I'll cut it there. A lot of Emmy talk on this show. Kind of moved some other things that I wanted to do. I wanted to get more in-depth on a few things. Didn't get to talk about suits this week as well, so we'll do that next week also. Need to get back into the Americans and discuss that some more. Same thing with uh, maybe the leftovers as a season going back into the episodes. There is a whole lot that we have to get to as we continue to move through these podcasts. But today I wanted to fucking rant because the leftover situation is another example of why Emmys and award shows are often complete and total jokes. It was disgusting to me. That may be a harsh word to say for something not getting nominated for an entertainment award. But the leftovers is going to go down. I heard, and I saw Alan Seppenwall say this, and it was the exact comparison that I had made in my own head. You can go ahead and put the leftovers next to the wire as shows that will never be seen in the annals of history with the hardware, but will go down as some of the biggest critical darlings in the history of television. Two shows that will stand the test of time, that will make critics' lists, that will make my list for eternity that many will never know about because the Emmys decided they were irrelevant. And unfortunately, the Emmys can play Kingmaker. Go watch The Leftovers. Go watch BoJack Horseman. Go watch Rectify. Those are the three shows I urge you right now, if you have not seen any of the three, find them, watch them, support them, tweet the shit out of them the night of the Emmys, let these people know just how wrong they got this because they wanted to star fuck. I'm Jason Martin. See you next week. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. (gasps) No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.